Welcome to the Stories or Soul Food podcast with your hosts, Brian Cole and best-selling author, N.D. Wilson. This audio is brought to you by Cannonball Books and Great Homeschool Conventions. So we're talking about movies. Yeah. Movies. The stories are soul food. We're taking a brief hiatus in our trip through Nate's magna opera. Is that how we go? We pluralize magnus, magnum opuses. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, and uh, we're going to take a break to talk about movies because we've had many people saying, but sure, we can do this for books, but how do you approach a movie as soul food? Are movies soul food? A moving picture show. Do we need to say welcome to Stories of Soul Food? Are we, have we started? Are we just going? I think we're going right now. We're going. Uh, the podcast has begun. Um, movies. Are movies soul food? Yeah. Stories are. Yeah. Right. So. That's as it as is in our title. Stories are soul food. Are movies stories? <laughs> <laughs> it's they logic. Are. It's Therefore. Logic. Yeah. Movies are soul food. Uh, they're not as necessarily as potent. Uh, they're not as well. They're shorter. Right. It's a much shorter experience. It doesn't access every aspect of the imagination in the same way. You know, it kind of bypasses the imagination in a little bit. It leave it can affect your imagination heavily after the fact. It can inspire the imagination. But uh, it's not. It's not telling you a story via the imagination in, right. the, in the same way. So it's it does. Visual. Yeah, but a really well shot, well edited film is constantly engaging the imagination with things left unseen, with connectivity between frames, uh, camera angles, et cetera. The imagination is engaged, but it's not engaged in the same way. The way a, a book in prose uh, vicariously accesses the senses a movie does not, you know, it, it kind of does has some workarounds. I like them a lot. I enjoy them a lot. Uh, I like to work with moving pictures, uh, but it has, a, it's definitely a different impact. Cause you've done a bunch of different projects, right? With movies. I, yeah. From... I've been involved in different things, but it's, uh, and I love it. You know, it's really, really fun, but it is a completely different creative process and it's a very different uh, consumption experience, I think, as everybody knows. So, you know, when you turn the lights off and I'll sit there watching something together, eating ice cream or popcorn or whatever it is you do, it's a different thing. It's a different kind of transportation that happens. It is interesting in that it's shared. Uh, well, people re respond differently, but there's still far more unity of experience. Yeah, I think that's why so many people like us do the the Friday night movie night or game night. You know, we vary some with that, but it does feel like there's a bit of a family bonding that can occur yeah. around. Of course, that happens regularly with books, but it's a fun event for the for the little kids. Yeah, it is. And so if when kids are talking about books they've read and, you know, one of the younger kids is reading a book that the older kids have already read, it's really that conversation is fun. Yeah, you know, they're they're sharing something, and oh, have you met this character yet? And there's that kind of conversation going. That's that's great. It's enjoyable, 
but every imagination sees it differently. Uh, mm. And so, and one of the examples I've used in, uh, in, in actually in rhetoric lectures at New St. Andrews over the years is describing a scene where you say, you know, Frodo and Sam are being chased down a hill by a pack of ravening orcs. Yeah, just one little, just some information there. It's not like it's a, it's enfleshed, and everybody is going to position the camera, meaning their own their own two eyeballs, in different places. Are they running towards you? Are they running away from you? How many orcs are there? Five, six, seven, fifty. Uh, everybody starts to fill in details, and that is what happens in every single story. So, is Sam tripping? Is Frodo slightly ahead? Is Sam slightly ahead? What what is it? And so in a book, you can't give exhaustive details for things like that. And you mustn't, as an author, try to you know, create a completely exhaustive scene. You have to let the imagination work. And so the imagination of a reader is constructing the background or leaving the background out of focus, doesn't know if it's sunny or if it's cloudy or if it's raining or, or whatever, or what kind of ground, the turf, the lumpiness of the ground, how tall is the grass, you know, are there rocks? What's going, there's so much blank that we fill in. Mm -hmm. um, and that's one of the beauties of uh, prose and reading a story as you are co-creating as you read and you're co-creating a lot of places where, where it's just left. It's left to you to do that. This is the case in scripture. This is the case uh, in fiction. This is the case in- And that's know, advice we often give as editors yeah. when you're editing something as you say you're showing too much yeah or, pull out pull out yeah so much of this detail give us enough to make it feel real then let the imagination work right the classic editing advice that one plus one in fiction does not always equal two usually one plus one actually takes away from the value of a scene when you yep. when you throw too many details it actually subtracts from the value of the scene yep but then you have in film uh those shows and those movies with uh, a deep level of commitment are the ones who are pushing the realism all the way into the back corners. And so we all know, you know, or most people know, like, it's funny in this scene of Braveheart, you can look at the extras messing around in the background, you know, Mel's in the foreground being deeply moved. And there's a couple of dudes like doinking around <laughs> on the, on the hilltop behind them. They were bored <laughs> with, yeah, with play swords. They're just kind of messing around and it's kind of out of focus, but it's back there. Uh, with, with movies, you have to sell it. You have to sell it in every single corner of every single set and every single little detail of the costuming. And we like that transportation, like transport me to a different time, transport me to a different place and do the work for me. Show me what it's like. So and the, so like, the show Downton Abbey, for example, people just are just absorbed with this experience of man, this, this turning of the ages, this 1914 moment. Uh, it's so interesting to see how it really was. And of course, in a lot of ways, it's not, it's not accurate, but it's still, cause they all have great teeth, but it's, <laughs> but it is also communicating something very real, but it's doing it through a huge amount of meticulous work that pushes all the way out to the corners in every frame. So when we're approaching a movie, well, a book, obviously, the tool is word and the imagination. Yeah. What are the main tools of a movie? Like speaking as a director or a, a well, screenwriter. Well, it's obviously sight, you know, Yeah. and sight and sound. So you're working off of two senses and then insinuation and things that are left unseen that provoke the imagination and create engagement. 
but you, the the strength of sympathy and affection and likability of a character and the character arcs, all that, all those rules hold true, right? In both. So, I mean, film is a much easier reference point for me when I'm talking to people about stories because people have seen so much more than they've read, uh, which is unfortunate. But it it is far easier to talk about Jurassic Park the film than it is to talk about Jurassic Park, the book. Is that just because it's so much easier, quicker? Yeah, quicker reference points, but also a more of a universal experience. No, I mean, why do we watch so many movies? Oh, because it's fun, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess I'm just thinking through it, and I guess it is that time aspect. I have a, I have an hour and a half, and it's going to be bedtime. I could yeah. either work on a piece of a story, or I yeah, can I could finish. I could chip away. Yeah. I could chip away on something, or I could I could consume something. Well, what we found with the family movie night is that it's pretty, it's so hard to find enough movies to watch that are worthwhile. So we ended up doing more game nights because no one wants to watch anything or well, everyone does, but we don't know what to watch. Clearly you need to subscribe to VidAngel and ClearPlay. <laughs> there you go. Okay. <laughs> I'm guessing that you don't. I subscribe to VidAngel. I just can't find the movies that I want on it. Then subscribe to ClearPlay as well. Okay. There we go. See, that's this is why we need this episode. <laughs> what is ClearPlay? Let me push filtration, move, movie <laughs> filtration. Uh, ClearPlay is the older movie filtering service that's that's still copacetic with uh, Disney and Fox movies. Oh, okay. So they they will have a bit more. Okay, uh, gotcha. And because VidAngel has Netflix and uh, yeah, so Amazon I, Prime, I have I both. I have both because. Uh, and they have other stuff too on VidAngel. I have both because of the the Venn di diagram of their two libraries is not exact. Right. Yeah, there's there's a fair amount of overlap and there's also a fair amount with no overlap at all. And so I, I really, I'll bounce into my VidAngel app and, and look to see, mm -hmm. you know, I, I keep a list of movies in my phone every time I think of one that's possible. I just immediately jot it down. So I have this long library of films that i'm tr or shows that i'm trying to show my kids or i'm like oh that'd be fun and so i throw it down and i'll look later to see if there's filters on it or you know right decide whether to hold off or not um, do you guys have a did did you guys do movie night or do you just sometimes do it uh it's usually weekends you gotcha. know we'll find we'll yeah. try to find a spot on the weekend if we're working on a show which we just were with the first season of downton abbey you know, then it's 45 minutes. And so we can right. you know, sneak in a couple over the weekend. I think we did three this past weekend, Memorial Day weekend. Nice. Um, anyway, it's, I try to find stuff that's interesting to diverse interests. I have, I have children who are in it for the narrative, 100%. And I have children who are in it for the historical observation and for the, the study, like the study of, of the art, meaning like, just watching how these people recreated something, watching gotcha. like how deep the research went and, okay. and picking up glimpses of another world. So I have, I have kids who are tourists and I have kids who are conceptual and I have kids who are entirely narratively motivated. And so it's, it's always kind of fun to try to find something that scratches things, all those the, issues. <laughs> things that are interesting to all of them. Now, what's the takeaway for down from Downton Abbey season one so far? How do, what do you guys they're I think kind that, of over the soapiness like yeah. the kids are, the kids are all there saying like okay um this is interesting culturally but my my kids who are narratively motivated are just frustrated because they they see the writers artificially extending tension 
Yeah. You know, keeping, and this is no, nothing new, how to have people come from, we hate each other to we love each other to we still just so deeply misunderstand each other. We just can't be together because we're taking turns misunderstanding. Right. Uh, playing tennis with misunderstandings. Is that, so that, is we, that a 10 episodes? That's seven. Seven. That first season. And they just trying to prolong it and stretch it. But everybody's enjoyed it. Yeah. But they're getting kind of over, their patience is being tried uh, by some of the characters. Yeah. And by the writers. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just come on. Yeah. So, especially Mr. Bates. Everybody loves Mr. Bates, but they're very, they're very tried by his false sense of dignity. Okay. It's, it's refusal to answer accusations against him. You know, it's just like, come on, dude, just yeah. say it. <laughs> and, Good. Yeah. So that's about, yeah. Yeah. You know, so it's, but it's been really fun and i think we'll we won't just dive into season two we're gonna it'll be a significant break because their tolerance for the soapiness has has reached its end yeah and so we'll watch something else and we'll we'll probably circle back to season two i doubt we'll ever get through the entire show uh we dabble in shows that way and we'll you know do an early season and yeah uh and they've been very cracked up by it so uh the Last Kingdom, hilariously inaccurate historical show on. Oh right, I saw that <laughs> on on Netflix, on VidAngels filters on VidAngels, so you can really yeah you can you can get in there and tinker with it in VidAngel and and make it palatable. Uh, but then same thing, you're kind of like I'm. This formula for the season is is it grows it grows old, <laughs> and this wuss of King Alfred, it, that also grows old when you know the historical you know, the actual historical story. So uh, the the variations annoy them, but it had, that was another one that everybody enjoyed oh, for, uh, for, okay. a, for a little bit. Yeah. And again, filtered. Right. Yeah. <laughs> filtered. So movie filtering. Movie filtering is the ability to turn off scenes or words. For those of you who don't know. So you can go in and just say, yeah, we're turning off this word. We're turning off. We're skipping this scene. Yeah. So in my day, the parents would jump up and hold up a pillow. Right. And mine as well. Yeah. And now <laughs> I can just say, eh, we're, we're skipping that. And of course, and with does, some, it, does it like mute it or does it cut? Both. Does it, okay. So it mutes, it mutes a curse word or it skips a scene, you know, mm -hmm. and you can crank the knob all the way up and edit out, uh, Things like in the film Elf, cotton-headed ninny muggins. <laughs> I'm like, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna leave in cotton-headed ninny muggins. Yeah. Uh, Just because it's one of the most potent. <laughs> yeah. Potent insults you can. So you can get. it's, but it that really has been fantastic for us because I have a younger, I've got a younger kid who can't consume uh, what the older kids could safely consume and they don't want, I don't want them stuck watching cartoons. So if we're going to have a family movie night, we're straddling, you know, college age kids, then they're, you know, they're knocking on the door of, of getting out of the house. And then there's this elementary school uh, kid who's right. still very young and very tender and very innocent as she ought to be. It's like, how do we sit down and watch something together? Yeah. And you know, how do we experience these things together? So she's actually been able to watch, things way beyond her tolerance or capacity uh, because they've been, you know, dad's edited version. Because of the miracle of filtration. Yeah. And so it's worth it to me to keep uh, accounts with both VidAngel and ClearPlay and it has enabled family movie night 
a, a great deal. Yeah. So when I think. Because otherwise you can find yourself just consuming stupidity. Yeah. And yeah. I know a lot of Christian families who just consume total cotton candy brain rot. Because it doesn't have something objectionable in it. Yeah. Yeah. And but I find the lack of artistry, the lack of craft, the lack of creativity to be just as much brain rot as uh, the the little nasty soul rot that they sneak into more sophisticated films. So there you go. You just, to have good high quality film, it's got to be on all three levels. Yeah. It can't it can't be just morally unobjectionable. And that's probably the biggest thing we could talk about with movies is that. When people ask me, what should we watch? What should we watch? And I tell them there's often shock, you know, there's shock and horror. And I'll be like, no, I, I filtered that. You know, I don't worry about it. That's like, but that's so intense. I'm like, yep. Or that's such a, like you watched Hotel Rwanda with your kids. Like, oh yeah. Like, yeah, I did. Even with my youngest, we did. And you know, we wanted to. And that was one of those ones where it's like, okay, kids, buckle up. And we're gonna have a lot of conversation after this. This is this is a glimpse into a moment of recent history that is super disturbing. Yeah. Can and you, you talk need- me through that violence, the violence checklist there? Because I think obviously the sexual aspects, people are a lot more familiar with the idea yeah. of of yeah, we just cut it out. We don't we don't do yeah. that. Um, what about the violence? How did you sort through that question as a family? So stuff that is well, A, I would tell my kids um, what my grandfather would always tell my sisters and myself, which was, don't worry, the cameraman will save them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so on one yeah. level, it's not real. Yeah, on one level, we're going to remove the art. However, in this case, that story in particular, it is very real. It just isn't, you're not watching the real. Right. You're watching a reenactment to communicate to you how awful it was. And it's awful. That yeah. movie is... It's One it's heartbreaking. You can't forget, yeah. Yep. And so, but we have, you know, we have ties to Rwanda. My, you know, my uh, wife's side, her uncle died in Rwanda, and you know, it's like we're gonna we're gonna watch the story. That yeah. was like we also and here little things like we watched it on the Sunday afternoon. Uh, we actually I decided we're gonna this is gonna be a daytime watch, like we're gonna we're gonna watch this when it's actually when the sun is shining outside. We're not gonna like. Go yeah. go do a nighttime watch right before bed. And then go to bed yeah. Yeah, after having watched we're gonna, Genocide. Yeah, we're going to watch this movie. We're going to talk about this movie. We're going to have hours to process this movie. And then we're going to move on and kids can read other stuff. And, right. You know, and and so it's that kind of that kind of decision. Like we're doing, this is a daytime watch. Um, yeah, so con- contrast but, the violence in Hotel Rwanda with something like the John Wick trilogy. Yeah, so we wouldn't, we haven't done that because what's the point? Right. You know, what's the upside? Yeah, you get a so, you get to watch a fun creation. Well, I don't even know if fun's the word. You get a movie that for some reason has watch become a creative. cult classic. Yeah, you get to watch something creative. Uh, some okay. Here's here's a version of that. So here's something kind of John John Wickish. Uh, the film Nobody. It's a new film. We watched it with filters. I had watched it first for work. And then I thought, you know what? I can I can clean this up a little bit and watch this with my family. Same thing, Sunday afternoon watch. And it's entirely fictional. But there's something really bizarrely subversive going on in that film and uh, that I really enjoyed. And so afterwards, I quizzed my kids, like, what's the theme of the film? What's the film trying to say? What's, what's going on here? Is it true? Is it false? How do you think it could have been improved? Like, where was it strong? Where was it weak? Yeah. And, 
And they, it was really, it's very great. We all walked up from the basement and sit around the kitchen island and we talk about the film. And I cut some of the violence. Um, some of the violence that's, that's just celebratory, like gratuitous, and is just there to make frat guys go, whoa, you know, like yeah. that, that kind of thing. That's, that was trimmed out because it was not necessary for our purposes. Yeah. But um, and not that I think, you know, a college guy should have to turn it off or something like that. But it was a really interesting film and very, very well made. Uh, John Wick is like a video game movie. And it was just, haha, this is fun. Yeah. Nobody's more sophisticated. It's a more sophisticated version, but it doesn't feel that much more sophisticated on mm. first at first glance. There's more going on there than than people realize. So what do you say to parents who say, but I don't know what to say after I watch that movie? Work at it. Get better at it. Yeah. Uh, Chesterton said, anything worth doing is worth doing badly. Uh, in other words, you can't be great your first try. Right. So figure it out. And Do I, a little so, bit yeah. of research. Read a review. Or go like bounce around. Like check right. out what other people have said or what other people. Yeah. I do. I do this all the time for almost every film. It's like okay, there's my own engagement with this, but then also there's the Im, the impressions and the thoughts of people that I respect or like I'm, I'm all the time shown something that I missed. I'm like oh, interesting. Right. I totally missed that. That's I don't understand curious. how some people do have that feeling of uh oh, I'm watching a movie in isolation and I have to have all the right answers right now. And then yeah. when my eight year old asks me a question, it's like you'll watch somebody not know what to say. Where if right. the eight year old had watched it in every any other context, hey, is it okay for someone to talk to their parents like that? You would have known exactly what to say if you'd run into that at the pool. Or yeah. you know, should you be friends with that? It it seems like people give up on themselves far too quickly with film. They think uh -oh. they do. Yeah, it, then, well, that's beyond me. Or or yeah. they just say, we think filtering's stupid. And it's really, they don't want to pay the five bucks a month or whatever it is, but they, they're like, yeah, you know. Right. You know, it's the those parts are the funny parts. Why would we cut the funniest parts? Or, you know, it's just not that important to me. I want my kids to see this. And it's like, well, I actually, as my kids have gotten older, my older kids, I don't filter it the way I would for a 10-year-old. And I, I do it on, I am intentionally let stuff through that they need to have a resistance to. They actually need to be able to Interesting. have it hit them and dismiss it and shrug it off. If I tried to have them all watch G-rated versions of everything until they were adults, they'd be completely vulnerable to the world. Yeah. You know, they have to build up tolerances. So if we're watching with their little sister, I'm going to, you know, it'll, it'll be set to her tolerances, but with them. You know, it, it actually has to, they have to grow. They have to be right. able to watch. They have to be able to watch it and deal with it. And not some of it, some of it you just turn off. It's not right. like I'm letting everything through. I'm talking about language mostly. Yeah. Or language and themes, you right. know, um, as opposed to sex scenes. Right. But, um, you know, it's, uh, it is really, really interesting to me how quickly people give up and they, and they'll say, a, more often than not, you'll have a lot of parents who will give up because they say, I just am not up to that level of engagement. But others will give up and say, well, we don't really care. It's just for fun. We just turn yeah. our, we just turn I our think brains lazy, off. I think laziness is way more because yeah. that's what I say. I say, oh, I forgot. It's movie night and I forgot to sign up for VidAngel. And I don't know, <laughs> I don't know how to connect with the Apple TV yet. So, you know, I'm just going to I'm going to kind of scrunch my eyes when that swear word I forgot about popped through in that, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. that movie. And I, I think that's. The laziness right. of the parent, parent, yeah, the, parent. <laughs> the parent, the parent of the parent. So you have, yeah, there, it, 
there's reasons why. There's other times where I look at a film and I'm like, okay, it's not on Clear Play, it's not on Vin Angel. And I'll go read up and be like, okay, what exactly would I be letting through? Yeah, that's the only and, time screenit.com has been useful. Yeah. <laughs> and what will I be, and even IMDb, I usually just jump to the parents guide in IMDb or Common Sense Media. Yeah. And we'll look at it and be like, uh, like, okay, not yet. Or actually, we're gonna, we're gonna do, do this. this. Yeah. We, we can do this. Um, I think Woman in Gold was one where we just watched it and there was there was some language but it was it was uh something i was prepared for and i also talked to my youngest beforehand it's like okay so there's gonna be some stuff in here that you may not repeat right people who are gonna misbehave and you know like that's that's great and but i we don't do that all the time right you know yeah, it's all about whether you're acclimatizing to something bad or yeah. whether you're inter, inter, encountering something bad, say what my kids would encounter if they play with the neighbor kids. Yep, exactly. And can you, do you have an immune system at all? Yeah. When you play with the neighbor kids, do you immediately, do you, do you flee as the oversensitive, overly pure Sunday school kid? Or yeah. can you actually uh, shrug it off and have a conversation about it and not be super intimidated? Right. Um, Something. I was really so for yeah. in terms of filtering, I was extremely grateful that we could all watch Stranger Things. You know, right. Like this is because I was able to like show my kids an intense nostalgic show that the world was talking about and that many things were imitating. And I was not opting them out into an ivory tower. Yeah. They were able to engage with it and engage with it to friends and engage with it in the culture because they were able to experience it and they would not have been able to, uh, my older kids would have been fine, but they would not have been able to uh, with their little sister in the room. <laughs> you yeah, know, it's like, right. But we were able to chip away at it with the whole family together and talking about it, eating pizza and watching two episodes and moving on. And yeah, we, we talked about the, even the concept of the binge watch and this, you know, just this show's role in creating the binge watch and, yeah. So a lot of conversations about story, character, and even just the culture at large and current visual media product. So yeah, talking through it, wondering things, researching things is all very, very important. Trying to make them perfectly clean is a mistake. You know, you want to be like pushing your kids' tolerances a little bit. They, you want them to be growing. Now that's interesting. I think a lot of parents would say, hey, if I can make this completely unobjectionable so we could enjoy it together at the push of a button, wouldn't you? Uh, no. And is that just because- Soul the, food. We're talking about soul food here. Yeah. We're talking about making people stronger. And so there's a degree to which interaction with vicarious darkness, like darkness by proxy, things that they have to think through or process and push against. You know, something we've said throughout this podcast is we're talking about catechizing loyalties and loves. So if it's stuff that is celebrating glorifying effectively like really well-crafted glorification of vice then no don't want don't watch it and just filtering it, it's not going to help right you know, like that's yeah that's going to be in the bones of the thing uh so that's not what you're trying to do uh but you are trying to feed their loyalties and feed their loves and give them an opportunity to resist like give them enemies at their at their frame give them things to criticize i watch movies with my kids just as much to give them opportunities to hate stuff and dislike stuff as I do to give them opportunities to love stuff. Do you have a, do you have a great one, a great example for uh, uh, 
a movie for, I guess, a little bit younger. What is one of your first hate movies that are good to watch? Uh, well, <clears throat> so it's less about we don't do hate movies as in like, let's watch something terrible just to hate on the craft. Right. right. We do stuff where like, OK, there's going to be a character in here. You know, there's going to be a struggle here where you're going to be very frustrated by choices characters make. And you could be frustrated by the choices the director makes and by what the director tries to do. So yeah. uh, actually here, this, this will tell you no country for old men. Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. Yes. And yes, my youngest has watched it. Wow. So, and sh she was 10 when she watched it. Okay. And we talked through uh, all the different. With filtration. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we talked through all the different ways that my kids would have changed uh the narrative and the structure of the narrative in particular scenes and there's the other thing that's great is there's disagreement in my family on it and it came up the other day and they were still arguing about <laughs> uh whether a particular sequence should have been off camera or on camera the cohen brothers decided to have it be off camera and so you know my daughter's advocating of how that would have been more potent if there'd at least been something on camera uh, there's still debate in the family over the last scene and what the directors right. are saying and what would be stronger, what would be better, what they would prefer, uh, what would make it a better film. But it's in, you know, one of my most critical kids who has the most thoughts on how that film should be changed slightly. It's still in her top three, hmm. you know, still up there in terms of the craft, the construction, everything else. It, and I love what it's done to her own creativity and the way she thinks through it and what she wants, you know, how she would resist it and shift things. So, you know, it's a, that's an example and it wasn't hate. There's things to hate in that film and there's things to hate in that film that the directors want you to hate. And you can say, yep, sign me up for hating that. Yeah. Um, for sure. And that's great. But there's other things in there that you can really admire. Like, yeah. wow, this, this is a well-told story. And I wish it was a little well, a little better told in the bullseye they were aiming at, not in their execution. Right. They're, they're hitting the target. They're hitting the target they're aiming at. Should they be aiming at a slightly different target? And that's that's the discussion. And then you bounce over to something like, oh, brother, where art thou? And it's just a romp and hilarity and everybody enjoys it. And they all sing the songs and it's super funny. And, yeah, you know, we talk about imitating other stories in the Odyssey and and things like that. So there's stuff that's just for fun and there's stuff that we've watched where I'm expecting them to feel pushed by it and have to react to it and to have to push back and have their own perspective on it. And I couldn't do this without clear play and good angel. It's not, I mean, right. and I couldn't even do it without both of them. Yeah. yeah I, I wander back and forth through the libraries of, yeah. of both. And there's still a ton of stuff. Um, and I've, I have, acquaintances and friends in both uh, of those companies and you know it's it's i'm so incredibly grateful that they're still out there trying to do it you know because they were almost didn't didn't disney get quite upset with them uh, yeah not with clearplay clearplay does it differently and VidAngel did did uh get stomped on and it was sad but they've survived they've come through yeah. but they don't have disney films and so if you want something from disney you bounce over to clearplay gotcha uh, but anyway, as far as it goes, a film is a form of tourism. It's a form of, it's seeing a time and a place and a character that either did exist, didn't exist, never existed, 
Yeah. Like there's all these different variations, but you're constructing a like a, a weird hiatus, a vacation, um, and you're at this touristic moment. And so you have movies that are vice tourism, uh, shows that are vice tourism, like, hey, we're going to take you into a place where you can pretend that you're a horrible, horrible person and you can get the kind of vicarious glee of being a horrible, horrible person without any of the long-term taint. Uh, <laughs> except surprise. Except for surprise. <laughs> it shaped your imagination and it cultivated your loves and loyalties in the wrong direction. Here's to you, Breaking Bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. Cheers, Breaking Bad. Vice, tourism. Um, and I'm not saying it's badly made or the craft is poor because craft competence is incredibly high. Uh, but it's vice tourism. And then you also have a true escapism where, you know, let's let's have some bubble gum. Yeah. Let's go. Let's go on this touristic experience through in a completely imaginary version of Santa Barbara, which is actually filmed in Vancouver. And we're going to call it psych, you know, yeah. and it's all chipper Charlie and everything's fun. And, you know, and that there's a place for that. Uh, but, fil but be aware of it. <laughs> be but, aware of it. Yeah. Be aware. OK, this is bubblegum goofy fun time this is like reading far side comics or calvin and Hobbes, and there's nothing wrong with that but it's just, it is something it wrong like if that's people, your diet if that's your right. full diet that's people and in movies are so people are so quick to if you attack a movie for one thing they're so quick to say but no it's you know it's not this other thing and i feel like there's so much goalpost moving with movies yes. so you try to critique baking but breaking bad for something for example Oh, no, no, you don't understand what it was trying to accomplish. Right. And you say, no, no, I do. <laughs> I do. And I think that was a bad decision. And I think I think less of them for trying to accomplish that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? right. Um, and so that you have all these different layers where you can criticize something. You can criticize something on a craft competence level. You can criticize something on uh, its fundamental loyalties, you know, like the actual yeah. like moral framework or the lack of a moral framework. And you can criticize something for being too G-rated bubblegum. Uh, and you can criticize something for aiming at the wrong target. Yeah. Like you aimed at a target you shouldn't have aimed at, but guess what? You hit it. Well done, you. You did an yeah. amazing job, and I wish you hadn't aimed at that. Should we talk about Christian films now, or are we out of yeah, time? Yeah, no, we can do that. Uh, we were going to do a double episode. We can we can come back. I've got a little bit of time. Okay. Um, yeah. So we're not canceling yet. Let's talk about Christian movies. Okay. Because uh, I think what's to say? <laughs> yeah how specific do we get how fast so here's here's a question is children of men a christian movie okay so we're talking the pd james novel right Wait. yeah we're talking about right. the yeah the clive owen film right um is it a christian movie no one would say yes as far as the level of of theme is concerned so you it's, it's your genre market distinction that we're yeah talking yeah about yeah here. we're actually going right back to the ya question yes of what is YA? And it's actually a market, not a genre. Right. So is Christian in scare quotes in front of a movie? Is that a market? Are we talking about a market? Are we talking about a genre? What are we, what are we talking about? We're definitely talking market. We're talking market for sure. Yep. You're trying to sell to people yep. who will buy things with Christian in front of it. Yes, exactly. And there's rules for that. There's rules for that market. Yep. And, and those rules go from what is in movies go all the way up to movie or uh, music. What 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 notes are allowed in these songs, right? Yeah, Christian. We put Christian yeah. in front of this, which means we need uh, a Christian housewife on a knee jerk to feel safe acquiring it to consume on behalf of the household. Because overwhelmingly, the mom makes the cultural consumption choices in America and especially in the church. 
So mom is the one saying it's movie night and this is what we're watching. Mom is the one saying this is the music that's allowed in the house. That's, yeah. that's overwhelmingly the case. And actually I know I have a bunch of friends in marketing and broad secular marketing and Christian marketing. And they talk exactly about how you have to market in the Christian world to that woman. Like that is the woman you have to sell. And if you can get her, if you can get that 35 year old woman, then you've got the whole family. And if you can't, it doesn't matter if you get the dad. It doesn't mm. matter if you get the teenage son to want to watch it. Uh, it's not going to happen or it's going to happen on the sly at the bus stop on a phone. You know, like that's... Yeah. So, you know, you're going... In the Christian market, you're going after a, a 35-year-old mom. Yeah. Okay. And, that's why movies... And like- which and now, to justify and defend that 35-year-old mom, the world is full of filth. And so she's looking for something that will she can trust and she can trust quickly. Right. Like, what can I trust quickly? Yeah. And so that Christian tag is really, really important uh, right. in, the, in the market for somebody who lives a busy life and is trying to have a movie night with their family. And because that means it has been clear played and vid angeled already. Right? Yeah. And every in every way. Uh, I wish there was a filter for schlock. Right. <laughs> like, no, yeah, that's for sure. There's nothing wrong with trying to remove objectionable things, but there is something wrong with always serving pablum to your kid's yeah. imagination. Now, to flip flip it over, and this is something that is very important to me, if everybody listening to this hears the phrase Christian art, I would assume that your knee-jerk reaction is going to be, if I said one word reaction, first word reaction to Christian art, it's going to be cheesy, schlock. Ew. Yeah, ew, gooey. Or it's going to be like a warm blanket. You know, it's something comforting. It's affirming. Cocoa, for sure. Yeah, it's hot chocolate and marshmallows. Right. And as much as I like hot chocolate and marshmallows, that's not really what you want in all of your art. Uh, But we have to broaden our categories. Take, take, well, go back in the history of Christian art and and include Shakespeare, include Handel. Robinson Crusoe. Yeah, Crusoe. Include, you know, the entire history of the novel and drama and Christian creators, Christian authors include, you have to include Lewis. You have to include Tolkien. You have to include that. You have to include all these authors and writers like my own stuff. I'm a Christian. Yep. Andy Wilson. I write stories. Graham Greene. Yeah. Flannery O'Connor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you're like, Oh wait, are we still cheesy? Like, no, when we say Christian art, what we mean is stuff produced by the gospel industrial complex for a particular market and marketed a certain way right now in the immediate past. Yeah, that's what that means. For the last couple of decades. That's what it it means. Uh, The moral majority is something that is targeted for the moral majority. And it's really since the 70s. It's not even, you know, a long time. So we're talking about when people think cheesy, they think Christian art since the 70s. And even then you have to discount a lot a lot of it you have to discount a lot of christian creators a lot of christian stuff because they weren't in that market they weren't market tagged so we have to get bigger and we have to get bolder and less insecure about christian art because christians have been winning the art game for a very long time yeah uh even you go back to the dutch masters you know in painting you know we're talking about a real high point in christian art protestants yeah, and then now in film, it's like, okay, so Terrence Malick, Christian director? Like, no, we think Kendrick Brothers, right? Yeah. And 
but and it's not that you would approve of everything Terrence Malick does, but he is definitely on a mission. And trying, yeah, trying to do something real, <laughs> trying to really give you something to think about, yeah. about how life works. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, whereas War Room, I don't know that it is. It feels like it's trying to, it's that reduction conversation where we had, where War Room is trying to say, hey, prayer is a good thing. Sure. And then this is where I defend, now I, I flip around and I defend things like War Room. And I say, okay, so if you think about the history of film, in the US and how long the secular side has been practicing and what the budgets they're allowed to work with. And then you say, now let's give, you know, maybe yeah, a you're... church in Texas $400,000 and see what they can do. Can you compete? Now, as far as budgets go, that's like minuscule, right? Yeah, it's non-existent. And so you, and even if you get up to a couple millions and you get up under 10 million and you're still, you're still talking about tiny, tiny budgets. Then you also are, are pulling from, uh, actors who are unknown or willing to be, you know, they're either believers, they're members of a church, very little experience. Or they're desperate for work. Yep, right? exactly. Okay. For a reason. And so you have. But these movies make incredible amounts of money. Don't sometimes. They? Yeah. Sometimes they do. But then you have to realize that they are owned by the same secular studio that owns the other movies. And so like Christian in scare quotes is a market and it is, they will harvest they will, they will, oh, let's just put it this way. If you make $80 million off of Fireproof, is the studio going to give you $80 million to work on your next film? And the answer is no. Will they just give you the whatever? Three, three to five. They'll give you the three to five to do it again? Might, you know, as you get more and more successful, you could get 10 to 20. You could start to, you could start to grow. But so, will so you get any kind of, will you get Maze Runner money? Of course not. Will you, will you get Hunger Games money? Why not? Absolutely Why not? Is not. that because they just view it as so market? Is it, is it? It's like, this is our romance movie. This is, they view it at the same as like, hey, this is how we make a romance or this is the same as we make a horror movie. No, it's, or, yes, they do it. They do it by rote. They have plug and chug, but also there's diminishing returns. And this is something Christians have to get better at. It's because they won't make more money with a bigger budget because the marketplace, the demographic that comes out to support them, come out to support them, whether or not it's cheesy. Hmm. Like, so if you can get Christian America to go watch the movie without spending that money, why would you spend that money? Mm. You know, so it's, it's tough. And I know a lot of different Christian filmmakers and people involved in, you know, the quote unquote faith market, and they're working hard to make the best stuff they can. And I'm not going to knock that. You know, it's like they're, right. they're doing what they can. Well, and I, mean, I might, yeah. I might aim at a different target or I might, I, I might really desire for it to be less have less whipped cream, less sugar, and a little more realism. Uh, but they're doing what they can with what they've been given. Yeah. And they're growing and improving. And, and the budgets of those films have gone up significantly. They're, they're growing significantly, the impact. And studios are starting to pay a little more attention and realizing that more investment you know, can bear fruit. But Christians think Christian publishing Christian studios, no one is willing or able to spend the kind of money that is necessary to make great films in that market. Okay. They're just not. And so whenever... So it's not like there's a million really high quality people just sitting ready to go trying to, to bust their butts to come up with the money to make these projects. Right. They're willing to do... They're part of the treadmill almost. Yeah. I but, guess. Then, but then you also have people who've been burned. So you have... 
wait, like you get sold a bill of goods about, hey, if you invest $20 million, you're going to make so much money, yada, yada, yada. And then they just throw it down the wormhole and it's gone forever. And so that guy's not investing again, like never. Right. You know, he's never putting money into a movie again. And he was willing to take that risk. You look at what Phil Anschutz did with Walden Media and he came in for billions and struggled and struggled and struggled and struggled. You know, like it just didn't didn't work. Different people have tried it and they go and it leaves a mark culturally, but it's hard to get a return mm. without a deep and lasting commitment to making a lot of them. And, you know, many, many, many and having many, many failures. You can't actually. Do most movies fail to make money or how does that work? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, same as books. You know, yeah. very, very, very few books are, are bestsellers. Right. Like true bestsellers, not just, you know. Yeah self-congratulatory bestsellers right. or, or whatever. Very few books are. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of people who claim bestseller as soon as they're on an Amazon list. <laughs> you know, right. There's a lot of those Amazon lists. Which if you just release on a Friday, you can get on one of those Amazon lists. Yeah, so I've, if, I've, if I've been on so many of those obscure lists that I didn't even know existed. That's all right. You are a bestseller. I'm a bestselling author in the category of boy's life or whatever. I think um, we got in, we got in one once for theological, you know, obscure theological topics because not many people are publishing in there, but you know, <laughs> we're not complaining about that. Yeah, it's like awesome. <laughs> and it's it's great, but it's it's also really, really funny. So if you think about Warner Brothers having been around for as long as they've been around and the shots they're taking and you know the ability to keep taking shots and keep taking shots and keep taking shots. Um, and you think about that, what we end up with in the Christian world is one shot and it has to, and you have to hit. Mm. You know, and you, if you don't hit, all your investors are out and they're never doing this again. So that's why they don't try anything risky. Yeah. That's and so why, you have to be in yeah. the middle of the road. You have to be as safe as possible. You need that 35-year-old mom to say, this is the movie for this weekend. Right. You need to not take risks. Now, I know I, there's a bunch of Christian creators who are taking risks and who are pushing to make bigger and better stuff. And that's awesome. But it's going to take a bit. It's brand new. Think about how long it took the secular world to get there. You know, like it, it took a minute before they could get to high craft. Since the 30s. Is that what we're talking about here? Yeah, even <laughs> earlier. And it's 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 taken a bit. And so we we have to be patient. We have to be we have to keep grinding. But also you and your kids need to be watching stuff that is not just middle of the road safe. You need to be watching stuff that's not just, you know, sugar. It's not just cotton candy because I want to I want to feel safe you know, just sit down with my family and, and not have to worry at all. And it's going to be some Sunday school theme. You need to get outside of that, you know, watch some movies that some minor prophets would watch. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. With filters. <laughs> right. Yeah. With that, I think we need to stop thinking that filming is just at, or watching film is just educational or sorry, just in uh, entertainment. Entertainment. It's not just entertainment. It's not just inspiration. We're trying to grow people. Yep. And, and so, that's the same task as when you pick a book. Right. So you're trying to grow people. It's soul food. You want them to grow so you stronger. you can't compromise on that. And yeah. as much as we like the lesson of Fireproof, don't do porn. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A fantastic and we message. Also, and we also like the lesson of not being scared to grab a couple hundred thousand dollars and try to make a movie right. with your friends from church. I'm all, I've, I've tried that. Yeah. Um, it's super fun and it's important. It actually right. is important, but you, you need to be thinking about growing your kids stronger, inspiring them and ingraining their loves and loyalties, catechizing their loves and loyalties the same way you do with books and stories at all. 
what's the point of movie night with the family? Unity, loyalty, and growing stronger. Yeah. Growing stronger as people. Yeah. And there you go. So watch movies, subscribe to both Clearplay and VidAngel. I'm halfway there. Suck it up. I'm halfway there. Some of you are probably all the way there, but. uh... Suck it up. Pay the money. (laughs) Pay the money. It is a small price to pay to keep uh, companies like that going. So go for it. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Stories of Soul Food podcast. If you're someone highly invested in kid fiction and finding the best stories for your kids and you haven't downloaded the Canon app, I want to encourage you to download and subscribe today. You can find things on there such as Christine Cohen's The Winter King, Ethan Nicole's Brave Ollie Possum, Peter Lightheart's Wise Words, a book on Narnia from Douglas Wilson titled What I Learned in Narnia, and much, much more. Download the app today wherever you get your apps and subscribe.